0: Somebody that just
1: loves
0: somebody.
1: Somebody you just love. Hello and welcome. I'm Jillian Raymond, the co creator of Juicy Bits and a Coalition Snow ambassador. And I'm Jen Gorecki, your co host and the CEO of Coalition Snow. For those of you who are new, get ready to laugh, cry, and maybe pee your pants a little. Juicy Bits is about taking the conversations that we start on the chairlift and at the trailhead and bringing them to you to explore alternative narratives that challenge the status quo about what it means to be a modern woman in the outdoors. Grab your helmet, because sometimes it's a bumpy ride. FYI, friends, this podcast is for mature audiences, so you've been warned. Let's get to work and juice the patriarchy. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Juicy Bits. This is Jen Gorecki, and I am so happy to have a special guest today with me. I've got Lindsay Delorier, who is the president and a co-owner of Bolton Valley Resort, which is an independently owned small ski resort in Vermont. So, Lindsay, welcome to Juicy Bits. Thank you for having me. This is a treat. It's my pleasure. Um, so I just gave like the shortest introduction of you. Tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do before we dive into some of the, the questions I'm going to ask you. <laughs>
0: um, well, you've got it exactly right. That's I'm the president of Bolton Valley. Um, I'm one of five siblings, and we're all in it together with our parents, actually, and um, a little bit of our family history. Our dad was the original developer and founder of Bolton Valley Resort in 1966. He operated it for 30 years. We all grew up here. And then um, for about 20 years, it went through the hands of four or five different owners before we got back together uh, with some friends, local friends and partners and bought it back in 2017. So that's sort of how we're coming to this. And as for me personally, um, I mean, I don't know a little more about myself. I'm 41 years old. I have a child who's 14 and her name is Juniper. We live up here on the mountain. Um, I love to ski. I love to mountain bike, Um, especially love backcountry skiing. And we've got a lot of amazing backcountry terrain right out of our doorstep here. So I spend a lot of time doing that when I'm not in the office in the winter. Um, And honestly, there's not a lot more to my life right now, especially during COVID. (laughs) Work, juniper, and ski. Well, yeah, I mean, during COVID and during winter,
1: right? Like, it's, it's this funny thing. I think that people think that when you work in the industry, you work in, in, in snow sports, you like must get out all the time. And you're like, no, I sit in my office behind my computer almost every day. And it's a treat when I actually get to go out (laughs) and ski and, uh, no life's pretty, like not a lot to talk about. That's how I feel all the time (laughs) when people are like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm either in my house, in my desk, or like I got up to the mountain a few times this week. That's it.
0: That's true. It's a great week. If I'm out three days a week, though, I will say, before this, I worked as a lobbyist at the state level. So I was in the state capital, Montpelier, all the time during the winter, our legislative sessions in the winter. And I do ski a hell of a lot more now than I did yes. as a lobbyist. So, you know, it's all yeah, it's all right. It's true. It's true. Although I don't
1: think anybody goes into politics to ski more.
0: I mean, so. (laughs) No, No, that's just to make a living and make a difference. Make a living and make a difference.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Well, I mean, speaking of, um, making a living and making a difference. So you and I have a little bit in, in common. So we've, we've done some things, um, in the world of snow sports that a lot of women haven't, um, and kind of like against all sort of rational thought around smart business moves. Um, so I, I know that like, for me, starting a ski and snowboard company, like it's seasonal, it's hard goods, um, climate change, like this is, there's a small number of humans who actually ski and snowboard. So it's not necessarily like the smartest business. And you are one of the owners and the president of a small ski resort, which I'm sure people were probably like, (laughs) Lindsay, what are you doing? What is happening? Um, So I'm just curious, like, why Why did you choose to do this? I mean, you, you just told us a little bit that in 2017 you got back together with your family and some some friends and you had the ability to to purchase the resort um, to bring it back into the family. but like why 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 are you doing this?
0: Well, that is a great question and a fair question, and I will say that it was not my idea um, <laughs> actually, <laughs> um, my dad and my little brother were the two. My younger brother, he's not little. he's tall grown up and taller than I am, but um my younger brother, they had the idea well, the previous owners, the most recent owners, reached out to my dad when they were about done and asked him if he'd have any interest in in you know buying it back, and my younger brother at the time, was kind of in a space in his life where he was able to do it. And and so they, they started to put this deal together and the rest of us, you know, sort of knew about it, but weren't really engaged, um, in the process early on until they started to have some momentum around it. And then it became kind of like this real possibility that actually it might be possible to buy the Skiria back. And, and then we started, you know, to having to ask ourselves what that would mean for us. And, um, I got excited about it. I mean, I think we all got excited about it, honestly, because when, when so tw- so rewind 20 years um, and my dad, you know, sold the, re- the resort in 1997, but he sold it under duress. It wasn't like we, you know, mm. it wasn't like, oh, this has been a great journey and now we're ready to move on to the next thing. It was like, no, we're on financial hard times. We have to sell it. It's not working out. You know, it's going broke. And it was definitely... It was definitely, you know, emotional kind of doesn't sum it up because it was something that we'd all grown up with and, you know, he'd created it as like losing a legacy. So, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, I think when the opportunity started to arise where it might be able for it to come back into the family, it was kind of like this deeper, this deeper thing for us. That being said, going back to like, <laughs> you know, like your decision making, I mean, I had a career at the time. Like I mentioned, I was working as a lobbyist and I'd built up a pretty a pretty good thing there and was stable. And um I'm a parent, I'm also a single income earner. Um, her father and I separated when she was two. So, you know, my income really matters to me. And yeah. so at first, when we were thinking about this, you're right, like a small skieria independently owned, you know, with bigger ski areas all around you. And the reason why it didn't work out last time was because it went on hard times. It definitely didn't feel like a stable future, you know, to step into. It felt really risky. Um, so I wasn't initially going to get directly involved in the operation. Um, we also bought a water company, water and sewer company, <laughs> at the same time that services the ski area and also all the other homes. And, you know, that's a real... That's got a lot of regulatory aspects to it. So initially I thought, well, I'll manage the water company and keep my day job. And, you know, you guys can can take over the resort. But pretty quickly it became obvious that the, pre- the, the former president, wasn't, it wasn't going to work out for him to stay. My younger brother just wasn't kind of like ready in his career, you know, to step in to take the reins. And my dad is really aging out. And so it just, there was like this vacuum. And so maybe like nine months into it in the middle of the first winter, it was like, you know, we're all kind of like looking around at each other going, (laughs) okay, well, somebody's got to do it. And, um, and it made sense for it to be me really at that time. So I like, I went through the motions of making a decision, but, um, I don't know. I mean it's just it's 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 like this is our home this is our history I don't know how to describe it it's like it wasn't a, it wasn't a career move you know right but, but now honestly you know three years later we're doing really well and um, I feel like it was a really good career move I feel like we've set it on the right track. The future is really bright. We've got great plans. And I feel like actually, it's probably the best thing that could have happened to me, you know, from a career perspective, just in that moment, it was so risky, you know, it was like, jumping off a bridge. Yeah, well, that must have been
1: a really difficult decision, because it's the the being working in snow sports and i think sort of at any business that you choose it's not necessarily l- lucrative like there's not a lot of people who are making a lot of money in this industry it's certainly more of a lifestyle um choice that you know those of us with with privilege have the opportunity to 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 be in this industry but um let's talk a little bit about like why was it so scary like what what are the issues that you know, not only Bolton, but other small ski resorts have been facing, um, not only in the last few, few years, but maybe even what led to the initial sale. Um, you know, with, when your, when your dad sold it more than 20 years ago.
0: Well, I think like, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of obvious, but it's really true. Like this, the hardest thing about running a small ski area. Well, I would say is two things, you know, one, it's like you're totally weather dependent. So if you have yeah. A bad snow year, you're basically screwed. Especially if you don't have any income coming in in the summer, or not much. Um, You know, it's like because I don't think people understand how much it costs to get ready for the next winter. You know, like you still have to employ, like even us, we're a relatively small ski area. You know, even with pretty much no summer operation, you're you still have fifty full time year round employees. You know, working right Mm. through the summer because you've got the lifts to maintain, you've got all the snowmaking to maintain, the grounds, the properties, you've got all the buildings. I mean, there's still like just so much to it and the cost of that is really enormous, you know. Yeah. And um and so it's like you lose money all year all year long and then maybe you have this like 3 month window where you have to like make all of your money and if if you have a bad snow year, which you definitely do, you know, then you're sort of like digging out. So it's like just very precarious. Um so I think yeah. that's you know, one of the hardest things. And then also like, you know, part of the reason why a lot of ski areas are joining together into these conglomerates is because there's the economy of scale that you achieve by having, you know, like one finance department, one marketing department, you know, you can sort of, Mm. you can, you can find efficiencies, um, you know, in all the sort of like administrative departments, even though you have to have obviously designated you know, all your operations are designated to that resort. You know, if there's this whole category of um, staff that can service multiple resorts at one time. So you just don't get those efficiencies of scale either when you're, you know, a solo resort. Right. But that's so that's really interesting.
1: I mean, I, I definitely see that that um, being able to have one finance team, one marketing team, you have one CEO. What you know, like you just start really sort of like cutting out a lot of the extra. Um, fat, if you will, like you know, in, in your your C suite or your upper management. Um, but that leads me to a question where I don't know if you're going to want to answer this or even have an answer. So <laughs> <I mean. laughs> if, if, if it's if it's efficient um, and it's a way to save money, then why is why the fuck are these big resorts charging two hundred and fourteen dollars a day for a lift ticket? Because if we know that one of the major issues in our industry is not having enough humans coming in and spending money. Why? And and part of the reason to come together is to actually be more efficient and to save money. Why are we, why, why the $214 price tag for a single day lift ticket at some of these resorts?
0: Well, I mean, I can't speak for any resort decision-making other than ourselves, because we live in our right. own little, you know, tiny vacuum here at Bolton Valley and I've never worked for a corporate resort, so I don't know. But I mean, certainly I would assume that their objective is to make money, Um, you know, and so where there's supply and demand, you know, if you have a lot of demand, then you can charge a lot for your services. And I think too, like, you know, a lot of those bigger ski areas, you know, they're like, a lot of them carry a lot of status with them and, and status Mm. is valuable. Um, and also, you know, to be fair, like, you know, they provide really consistent services, you know, at a high level, like, you know, the amount of, like you can, you know, they've, they've got like, I mean, take really, I mean, take anything, like, you know, take their hotels, take their restaurants, take their snowmaking, take their plowing, take their parking lot management. You know, it's like, it's all you know, you go to those places and you can expect a certain level of every service, you know, to be sort of carried out at that high level. And, and there's a cost for all of those things. And, and there's a value for all those things. And, and people are willing to pay for it. Um, you know, it's definitely it's you know, it's a little scrappier here. So you got to have people who are willing really <laughs> you, know, people, like, you know people are going to be patient with you you know who are going to understand your troubles your challenges <laughs> yeah yeah well and there is I mean I, I
1: I appreciate you bringing up sort of this like there was like this consistency of quality or this expectation of, of quality that you would get at some of the larger resorts um and it, at smaller resorts at it like it as with everything small like there's less humans you are scrappy Um, It's not that you're not like, you're not striving for excellence or like trying to deliver the best experience or the best product that you can. It's that you just have limitations around capacity and you won't be able to do everything every day. Um, I mean, I think certainly also a reason why those resorts are charging what they are is because there's a lot of VC funding and, you know, there's a lot of, just a lot of investors, a lot of people who want... Who are who are looking to to make a lot of money um, off of their investment, and you know we we live in this society where um, you know massive hockey stick growth and you know the the unicorn startup and these large um, these huge IPOs are something that investors like are really sort of chasing down. But um, there's like obviously a a cost to that kind of growth, or even trying to um, achieve that kind of growth. So what do you? And, and you're not doing that. Like Bolton is not on that pathway. So what do you think are some of the opportunities, um, and some of, some of the joys around being small and not, not really playing that game that these larger ski resorts or these conglomerates are involved in?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And early on, like when you were first just sort of responding, you, you said, you know, like a certain quality of experience, you want to have this great experience. And one of the things that just like dawned on me as you were saying that was, you know, like one of the things that we constantly hear back from people who come here, people who, you know, go to the other bigger resorts too. And a lot of people who are like finding us on the Indie Pass or something like that, you know, they're like, oh my God, we had the best experience ever. Like your lifties, like they're so awesome. Like they're chatting me up in the line. They're just so happy to be here. You know, every like one of the things about being a small team is that you really are a team. Um, Yeah. And I feel like that comes through in the, you know, customer service that is given to our guests because people are just so happy. They really like our staff really wants everybody to have a good time. You know, we're all in it together. And I feel like that comes through in the experience. And for a lot of people is as valuable as or more valuable than, you know, marble countertops in the public restrooms. So I feel like, Mm -hmm. you know, like, it's a trade-off. You know, you're gonna have for Micah here in the restrooms. But <laughs> you know, that your lifting is gonna be so psyched to bump that chair for you. <laughs> so yeah. it's a trade off. It's true. It's true. Like, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I personally I love indie ski ski resorts. So I currently i you know, for those of you who are listening who don't don't know, I I live in in Reno, so I have a pass to Mount Rose, which is the independent ski resort here. Um, when I used to live at the lake, I had a pass at Homewood almost every year. And, and, you know, there's not as many lifts and there's not as much terrain. Um, and yes, there is a lot of Mica <laughs> around, but <laughs> the beauty of it is that there's just like, <laughs> there's less humans, right? There's like less humans. There's, you're not dealing with like huge parking lots, huge lines. Um, and it really like, I feel like one thing that, it's been, it's been spoken about a little bit. And um, I think a lot of people have been feeling it is that, you know, this winter with COVID with not being able to be indoors and be at bars and be at restaurants has really like brought us back to some of the earlier days of skiing when you would hang out in chairs outside of your car and you would tailgate and you'd bring sandwiches and 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 a little cooler and Like that to me is, that's what is the joy in in skiing is like just getting to be on the mountain and not having to wait in line and then just, you know, hanging out with, with friends, um, and all that other stuff. Like I personally don't know if I'd want, if I need to pay for that.
0: Yeah. Right. Well, we, we want you to pay for it. You know, we got to, we got to, we got to, we want people to pay for things, but, but also like you just struck a chord with me because, you know, I feel like one of the other cool things about being a small ski area, is that we have the freedom here, like one of the most fun things that I think my brothers and I feel, you know, is we have the freedom here to do things just because we love them. You know, like Mm -hmm. if you're, you know, like, if if your obligation is to your shareholders and to maximizing those profits, you know, then you're going to be like just looking at those equations and, you know, running the spreadsheets and making decisions you know, your decisions are really going to be clearly based on those, on, on those kinds of metrics where for us, which isn't to say we aren't doing that. We are, I mean, we are, you know, I think operating very smartly as a business. And so we're doing all of those things as well, but, or, and, you know, we also get to like build out a backcountry program and totally lean into backcountry, not because like it's going to be the most profitable part of our business, but because we love it. You know, we love it and it's just something that we love. And, and so we want to do more of it. And then, you know, over time we're figuring out, okay, how can we, you know, have this contribute to the business? And we're asking those questions and we're seeing if it pays off, but, you know, we can, we can just break even on that program for a while because that's enough, it's enough that we love to do it. You know, and like my brother, Adam has, has been doing that since we got here. He's just been creating this really radical kind of unique in the nation backcountry program that we're so proud of. And now, you know, we're getting all this press for it, but it certainly wasn't a numbers decision. It was just a like, well, I really want to start a backcountry program and Mm -hmm. I want to be a backcountry guide all the time. And, you know, that's how that grew. And like my younger brother loves disc golf. And so, you know, he's been putting in a disc golf course and he's put in two disc golf courses now. And yeah, we're putting some, you know, we put resources into that, but you know, he just loves it. And then, and for me, like my, my passion project has been, you know, to figure out how to expand mountain biking in the summertime up here, because I love mountain biking and there are some great trails up here. So, but I actually, but you know, actually mountain biking is going to, is going to end up being a real cornerstone of our summer operation now, but it all just sort of started because like we wanted to have mountain biking
1: you probably want your daughter to mountain bike too. You're like, I would, I would like to mountain bike. We're just going to do that thing now. Um uh, Yeah. We definitely do similar things at coalition as well, where it's normally me and my um sort of ambitious or audacious ideas of like, I would like to do this thing. So now we're going to do it. Um <laughs> And I also like you try to make sure that it pencils out and there's financial spreadsheets and projections and all of that, but it is I think that is like one of the cool things about being small is that you can just create things because you're not having to go through this, the hierarchy or the red, the red tape. Um, And, and you can just see what works. And one, one of the things that you had mentioned to me um, when we were preparing for this call is that, you know, this idea of like failing fast and I'm, you know, obviously when, as a small business owner, whenever you're, you're starting new Things that, you, that, that is a goal. Like if you're gonna fail, you want to do it really quickly so that you can just move the fuck on, right? But <laughs> just um, like tell me a little bit more about your philosophy of failing fast and how you have used that as a tool to be successful at Bolton.
0: Well, so failing fast is not my philosophy. It's it actually sort of came into our table and into our conversations through our sales and marketing director Scott Pellegrini, mm-hmm. who we hired well, I think ended up hiring him like six months or so into me taking on this full-time role. And um, he had come out most recently, he'd been working in tech. And so I guess that's something that they all talk mm-hmm. about there a lot is failing fast. Yeah. So, and, and the cool thing about Scott, and I'll just take a minute to just sort of like wax poetic on Scott for a second, because he doesn't come out of the ski industry <laughs> at all. And like, mm-hmm. I feel like in the ski industry, like it's all these like, you know, like older sort of male perspectives. And there's a, like a lot of like, well, this is how we did it. And this is how we've done it. And this is how we're doing it. And I know it works because we tried that thing 20 years ago, and that didn't work 20 years ago. So it's not going to work today. And like, there's just like people start in the schemes and they sort of move their way up and it's like insular. And I think one of the cool things yeah. about being also like, you know, potentially one of the challenges, but I choose to see it as really cool about being smaller is like, you're not going to you're not going to recruit somebody who's like, it's harder to recruit people who've been here forever because you can't afford them. <laughs> so you end up thinking outside right. of the box and like looking for people who are passionate about your mountain. Like Scott, you know, he was like, his whole resume was like how much he loves Bolton and how he's always been to Bolton. Now he's never worked in the ski industry, but he's done a lot of marketing and sales and different, in, in you know, different areas. And so he kind of, he's, He's always thinking differently than anyone else in the industry and challenging us in different ways. So anyway, Fail Fast for Bolton Valley is credited to Scott. And um somebody's knocking on my door, but I'm gonna ignore it. Um so, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so he you know, he's just like he brought the fail fasting and it just resonated with me because Also, I should say, I didn't come out of the ski industry. I mean, I grew up here, you know, and I lived Mm -hmm. up here as a kid through high school. I like worked in the ticket window and I bumped chairs and I did housekeeping and I bussed tables, but I certainly didn't come out of the ski industry. So I feel like we're just like feeling our way, you know, sense and smell. Like we don't really know, Mm -hmm. like we're just making Mm -hmm. the best decisions. But without that, like long history of, you know, ski industry management behind us. So we're constantly trying different things. And for me, fail fast gives me the freedom to take a risk. You know, it's like, okay, yeah. I don't know if this is gonna work. I don't know how people are gonna react to this, you know, but we'll just do it. <laughs> and then we'll just see, see what happens. And if we have to course correct, we'll course correct. And we definitely were doing a lot of course correcting in our first couple of years. Like we'd make a lift mode. And say, okay, we're gonna spin these lifts. And then like two days later we'd be like, Woo, that didn't work. Let's quickly change that. And like it can be really hard on it can be really hard on your staff too, honestly, if you're constantly yeah. changing. Yeah. But at the same time, like you have to give yourself the freedom to figure out what's gonna work. You know, and so like, you know, as we've had, even just having, you know, three, four years of experience behind you, you start to like, you start to be able to make better, you know, better choices, or you start to have like a higher ratio of success, I guess. But like, failing fast just means being willing to take risks and being willing to acknowledge when you're getting it wrong as fast as possible and, and, you know, do something different, even if it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. Well, so what, one of the things that I just want to, I want to kind
1: of revisit based on what you said is, um, you know, not coming from the industry and how that's actually an opportunity. And I mean, the reason why you and I are connected, connected today and having this conversation is because of Scott and how we got connected with Scott is that I randomly emailed and was like, hi, I would like For Myrna Valerio to uh, get lessons in a season pass at your resort, please. I would (laughs) like for you to make that. I would like to hear back. Yes, please. And I mean, that's what I was thinking when I wrote the email. I think I probably wrote something a little bit different, but in my mind, I was like, just say yes to this because this is like really, really cool. And then Scott was the person on the other end, and he did say yes. And. And what I love about that is it just it really is the proof in what you what you were just speaking about of like how you how you can do things differently and the opportunities around that because you know Myrna, who was actually our guest on the last podcast, who's you know, skiing on on Co- coalition skis and at Bolton getting lessons, which she loves, by the way. is awesome. um, <laughs> that Myrna's a beginner skier and just learning and the ski industry has never promoted um, beginners as athletes, or as influencers, or they haven't, you know, graced the pages of magazines, or marketing campaigns, been on teams, like, at all. But but for me, the reason why I wanted to work with Myrna is that Myrna is an accomplished athlete, um, an accomplished speaker, writer, incredible human. Why would you not want to work with that person? Right? Mm Like, why... In our industry, who who set the rule that you have to jump out of helicopters and huck yourself off cliffs to be someone of importance in the mm-hmm. industry? And so, I think that that was a really um, to be for for coalition and Bolton to be able to connect around that of like we just we we get to um, do things the way that we want to do them. We don't we don't necessarily have to adhere to this traditional playbook in the ski industry, which we know is white. Male, straight, um, and yeah, that's that's been pretty cool.
0: Oh, I love that. I love the way that you just explained that too. I didn't even know that that was the thinking behind having Myrna come up. I mean, that's really cool, and I love that so much. Yeah. And you're right, you're totally right. I mean, we we really we don't create, you know, we don't like focus on the personalities of beginners or just you know, average skiers. Um, it is yeah. always about the rad shredder or whatever, but that's yeah. Yeah. Thank you for yeah, making well, that connection.
1: Th- <laughs> oh, sure. I mean it, it's it's my, my pleasure and I, I mean I always think about this because I I I'm own a ski company and I wouldn't consider myself a rad sh- shredder. Like I'm forty three. Uh, I've things have been cut up and gone through surgery and there's pain and fear and just also like I'm cool with like keeping everything on the ground like I'm a fan of gravity when it works for me like being on the (laughs) slope on the ground is cool and like I don't need to get hurt and I don't need to go big and like I'm just all about going out and having fun and I I think it kind of surprises people like I think people might think that like I'm the one in some of the photos of like catching air and do it like no that's why we have an athlete and ambassador team so they can do it so i just really sort of like feel like i really feel strongly about you know why is there just sort of this singular narrative of who's a skier and who's a snowboarder and i think that you know along with 214 lift tickets i think it really limits people's excitement to even want to get involved in snow sports and and what a shame because We all know how great a powder day is. Like it's like so
0: fun. One of the best
1: things that like it I don't I mean, I often don't know what's better than a powder day. I don't know. I mean, maybe an orgasm, but also it's questionable sometimes.
0: (laughs) I don't know. Because they're
1: just really that good.
0: Powder days are special. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. Yeah.
1: Amazing. Um, so I wanted to you had talked about, you know, that you you have this radical backcountry program you have um, disc golf you're starting the mount- mountain biking what else can people look forward to at at Bolton like what where where do you see yourself in the next 5 years like what sort of exciting stuff are you cooking up that you want people to know about
0: well you listed three really exciting areas of growth and evolution that we're really focused on and you know i think in all three of those activities you'll continue to see more growth up here over the years for sure. Um, You know, I would especially say to keep your eye on our mountain biking. Um, We have pretty high aspirations in what we're going to do in mountain biking. Um, So I think that's going to be really transformative for us in the summertime. You know, like one Mm -hmm. of the things about Bolton Valley – was it used to be year-round, it used to, like back in the day, it had like a very robust tennis program <laughs> because hmm. tennis was very very popular. We had a lot of outdoor courts and tennis pros and mm-hmm. um, that was kind of like at the center of our summertime. Um, that Those days are like, you know, we've moved on from those days. Um, but I think mountain biking is going to play, you know, is going to play that sort of cornerstone role for us in the summertime moving forward. And I'm just like really excited about that. Um, and then, you know, and then I think like a lot of what we have to do, honestly, is just work on our underlying infrastructure, which was aging. Yeah. So it's not very sexy and it's not like super exciting to talk about, but it's really exciting for us because it's just shoring up all the assets that we have up here. And then, you know, again, we're not going to put marble in the bathrooms, but we'd really like it to be a clean and modern, you know, experience that meets the expectations that meets the expectations of, you know, people for sort of like, you know, this century. So, um, yeah. so I'm, I'm really excited about that. We're looking at snowmaking upgrades. Um, we're, tr- you know, we're trying to like layer in efficiency, you know, energy efficiency and, you know, thinking about our carbon footprint sort of in everything we do, which is like in many ways, ironic and a contradiction in terms for a ski area operation in general. Yeah. And I acknowledge that. And I'm not trying to be like, Oh, we're so like energy conscious. Cause no, like we're energy hogs. We're a ski area. Um, yeah. but you know, we'll do what we can. Like we converted all of our night skiing lights to LEDs. Um, we do have a wind turbine on top of the mountain that's now like operating and creating energy for us. It was broken for a while. Um, we are, uh, building 150 kilowatt solar array. So like, you know, We've gotten off of diesel with our snowmaking. So they're, like we're taking steps in those directions where we can also, you know, like really and truly couched in the acknowledgement that like, you know, by our nature as a ski area and as skiers, like we consume more than, you know, we're consuming for recreational purposes. So just acknowledge mm-hmm.
1: that. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. I mean, but also, and also though, I think... Maybe though, one another way to look at it, I I feel like this is another thing that really um, was elucidated during COVID. Is like how much all of this plays into our our mental health. My God, right? So like there is the recreation, and but there's it's the recreation because of the joy and joy. The more joy you experience, that's directly tied to your mental health. And I think for all of us who work in the outdoor industry in in general, like we know that this past year has sort of been, there's been a lot going on. Like people want to get outdoors. They yeah. are buying season passes and backcountry skis and outerwear. And like, there's like, there been this, I think, really like this shift and how people have been allocating their resources, both in terms of their financial re- resources. But then we all have that same 24 hours in a day, right? And I think we're, like in this past year, we've seen so many more people Invest in recreating in the outdoors because, well, number one, it was one of the only things that we could do yeah. um, to be COVID compliant and try to be and just try to be safe. Like outside of the the being compliant, like I don't wear a mask because the government tells me to. I wear a mask. Because I'm trying to be safe, right? Um, and but also, like people just love it, and I think that there's um, it's so important for our mental health. Yeah, to be outside.
0: Oh, completely. I mean, I know that's I know that's true for me. You know, I mean, yeah. like. Yeah, it's, there's there's a spiritual, almost you know, side to this. Um, that's yeah. easy to that's easy to overlook, and that is you know absolutely. And, and and also, I mean, just to get back to the environmental side too. I mean, I, I I really do also believe that you know by creating this connection to the mountains, we create stewards, you know, for the natural yeah. environment, you know, and for the love of mountains. Because if you're always living in sort of like you know, um. You know, like a built environment, you may not have the same appreciation for you know, for nature or for the mountains as if you actually have the opportunity to get out and, you know, have that spiritual moment, you know, like be standing in the woods with the snow glistening, you know, and the sun like dappling through the pine boughs, and you're just like, you realize you're connected to the earth. And um yeah. you know, and by by creating the opportunity for people to be outside and to have those experiences, you know, I feel like I feel like there's it. It plays a role in environmental stewardship, you know, g- generally speaking. So I, I hope that that's true too. Um, yeah, but. yeah, for sure. Um, and that's, I mean, there's, it's.
1: We definitely want. We definitely want as many people as, as possible who are thinking about their connection to the land, their relationship to the land, um, how their actions impact the land. We also, I'm sure you you probably know this is you know from your your lobbying career. Like, there's some pretty big fish out there that need to be held accountable too. And so that's that's like that's a that's a that's power in voters, right? To like hold um, elected officials accountable, hold our our corporations accountable, and that's really sort of those like small those small things when, when people have a love of the outdoors, they can actually also take that to the polls and vote around it. Like it's so much more than like picking up trash or, um, you know, thinking about riding your bike instead of driving, like that's all good. But like some of the biggest impact that we can make is thinking about how we, how we vote around this. And then also like where we spend our money and what companies as individuals, as consumers we're investing in. Um, so I was, I always like to think about that, like, I want to go after the big fish you know <laughs> 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 Let those guys. Um, <laughs> so let's I have I have one more question for you um, and, and it's it's gonna be pr- pretty broad but um I'm just wondering like what is it either about Bolton and or indie ski resorts that you think people should know about that they don't know about? Like what, what can we leave our listeners with, um, around this, like maybe this like little unknown fact or way of living or, you know, that, that you would like for us to know?
0: Well, um, hmm, yeah. Okay. Well, I guess I just feel, I I don't really know that I'm going to answer your question exactly, but I mean, I feel like a lot of times, you know, people think about you know, like they think about Vale or Altera resorts or these bigger resorts, you know, and then they think about these little like podunk, you know, ski areas that are just like run down and, you know, the word authentic gets thrown around a lot when talking about the Indies. And I feel like it could be a common mistake for people to think that, um, you know, to confuse or mistake authenticity with like stagnation, you know, or oldness, Mm -hmm. you know, or just like you know that you know just under-resourced and i think you know while there is some of that a part of what's happened in the ski industry is that i feel like you know in my experience i feel like the the conglomerates have actually kind of created some space for the indies to grow and thrive mm. you know it's almost like it's almost like they now live like on this this like different tier and not mm, everybody mm-hmm. wants that experience. You know, not everybody wants to go yeah. to Disneyland on vacation, you know. Some people like want to go like hang out on the beach in Costa Rica or something. You know, and it's mm-hmm. like and I feel like it, what they've done is they've created this space for the for for the rest of us to kind of find ourselves and have space to grow. And, you know, to and as the handoff is happening, you know, and I think like in obviously my family like it's literally a generational handoff, so like Mm -hmm. But, but I think in general, like those of us, you know, like us in our forties, like we're coming into our own now, like we're taking over, you know, like it's our time Mm -hmm. and we're bringing different values and we're bringing like, you know, like Scott's bringing in the tech and this, you know, fail fast mentality. And we're thinking about the environment and, you know, we want to like mountain bike instead of play tennis, you know, whatever it may be, like, I feel like we're at this point now with all of these ski areas being bought up where the Indies have this, like, it's like our moment, you know, it's like our moment mm. to redefine ourselves, to, um, grow to the light. And, um, I feel like we're at this exciting point in our evolution where we're getting a chance to redefine ourselves. And I think the other thing about that too, it's certainly, this is true for Bolton Valley. And I'm probably true for other independent ski areas is like, I think we're 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 having this like identity moment where yes, we're gonna stay a ski area because we love skiing and that's like the fundamental thing, but climate change is also happening. And so, you know, like we have yeah. to diversify our assets, you know, like we're yeah. we have to think what else are we? You know, how yeah. else are we creating these connections to the land? And like, you know, Bolton Valley is gonna answer that with mountain biking and hiking and disc golf and backcountry skiing and other skiers are gonna find different answers and different solutions. But I think I just, I think that it's like, we're creating something really cool and, you know, yes, it's authentic, you know, because it's like close to our community and it's connected and it's rooted and we don't have a million resources. So we have to be like scrappy and extra creative to do it. But I also feel like we're really, we're at this moment where, where we're, where we're starting to thrive. And I think you're going to see that. Um, and so How about that?
1: (laughs) Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us on Juicy Bits. And if anyone's ever in Vermont, you should go ski at Bolton because um, I know that if I ever make it to the East Coast,
0: uh, Lindsay, you're going to have to take me out on a special little tour of all the things. I would love that. I'm already creating it in my mind.